You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. something or an idea I wanted to express and I would paint it. Now I'm painting, it's more experiences and feelings. And so it's coming from a different place and it's actually producing work that I like a lot more. <laughs> so That's awesome. I, can, I, I would love to see it. I'll have to keep, you know, just paying attention to what you're putting out there as soon as you put it out there. Cause yeah, it sounds really cool for sure. And I wanted to say that uh, I, I love how you're, you're building this podcast. I've been really watching your your branding and how you've been doing it, and it's I like it a lot. Cool, thank you. I, think, I, I know a lot of growth there, and I think anytime you do something, you you learn as you go, you know. So, so yeah, we're just we're just trying, but we're, we're having fun with it. And you know, I've been wanting to talk with you because I know that you have so many so many stories. It sounds like you know, and and just life experiences that could possibly be paranormal and stuff. And so, yeah, I wanted to ask you about some of that if you are willing to kind of dive into it. Um, I am, I am, and I guess that's why I wanted to to chat with you. I understand that it said that I'm being recorded, but um, I just wanted to chat with you about what you really wanted to talk about because, I mean, I've got categories 
large categories of things <laughs> that are different. You know, I've got the whole paranormal haunting thing, but I've also got sort of, you'd almost call them prophecies and visions. And then I've also got, uh, you know, my whole extra, extra dimensional being interaction story. So what, wh- which way do you want to go? <laughs> Um, we should, we should, I want to hear about your interdimensional being encounter stuff. Sure. Um, let me just check something really fast. I, I listen to, uh, I listen to music when I ride and I had my, I had my earbuds in and I don't know if they are, how charged they are. Cause if I put the earbuds in, it sometimes makes it easier to hear me. Uh, anyway, I'll just try this the way I'm doing it. So here, in fact, I'm going to take one step easier because I'm going to go like this. So I'm talking right into the phone. So, can you hear me pretty well? Oh, yeah. I hear you great. Okay. So, well, I'll give you, um, first of all, I have to give you a little bit of premise, just so that you kind of understand how my <clears throat> how my consciousness works. And that is, uh, I was a very aware and cognitive child very early. I didn't, I mean, to me, it was just normal, but I started, I've really come to realize that it, it was unusual. <laughs> my earliest conscious memories that are like, you know, what people think of as everyday adult memories started probably around age one. Wow. When I was, when I was about one. But uh, yeah, it started when I was about one year old. And um, the reason that that's significant is that when you understand that I'm talking about experiences that happened, the way I remember them is I remember them the way you would remember what happened yesterday. Oh, wow. You know, I mean, it's very clear, very cognitive, high cognition at a very young age. So, wow. I mean, and so what happened is I started having, when I was that age, I started having experiences mostly when I was asleep, when I was like sleeping. A lot of people call it sleep paralysis. I really hate that term because it, it, I think it's very inaccurate. I yeah. Think it's an, I think it's a, it, it's a misnomer. And just to describe the experience, it's you are asleep, but then you become aware of the room you're in. Your eyes are open. You can see the room. You often struggle with, you know, everything from trying to move your body to breathing, like everything. That's why I think why they call it sleep paralysis is that you kind of get the sense that you can't move. Although I have a theory as to why that is, um, and I'll get to that. But uh, very often when people are in that state, they describe a sense of a presence in the room that's a very common like there's something else there right what what i think is actually going on is that when you come into that state you have actually your consciousness you've shifted into your astral state and when you're conscious in your astral state you're so used to operating with your body right that you try to operate your astral state like you would operate mechanically your body and of course your body's asleep. You're not. Your astral state is not, but your body is. And so what it creates is a kind of panic because you're trying to you're trying to locomote the same way that you would if you were completely, you know, like awake in your physical body. So what I think it is is that you're in your astral form. And I can add to that in that a, a few experiences that I have had over my life when I came into that state. If I was going to move or I was going to like I I realized that the key was not to try to move. The the key was just to think. So I would think I would just imagine myself standing up and I would be standing up. So instead of trying to move my body mechanically, I just moved it, I would say, 
mentally using using imagination. And the other thing that, that and I can't speak to anybody else, but the other thing that would happen to me is if I come into that state and I was trying to panic, there would be this sound. The best way I can describe it is a sound, but it was really more like a vibration. It was like this high buzz kind of thing that would pull me out of that that state into my, you know, waking up in a panic, like waking up in my physical body in a panic. And what I found over my life is that when I had those experiences, if I just started thinking thinking around the room as opposed to trying to move. It was the moving that pulled me back into my body. So trying to move, you know, with my, like physically move, right? So what, I, what I'd find is that if I just relaxed and focused on what I was doing and just imagined it, that would all stop. And I would stay in the astral state or stay in that, whatever that state is. So I just had to give you a little bit of that background because that is fairly crucial to some things that, have, that occur. That's really cool. I, I like your take on that because, you know, I've had my own experiences with sleep paralysis. I actually don't like that term either. But yeah, typically, you know, I feel like there's somebody in the room that's a lot of times it's like a dark figure, you know, something that's a little bit yep th- that wants wants to hurt you or harm you or something, you know, it's a really weird feeling. But the way that you described that uh, is, is crazy to think about that you could control that, you know, because and it makes so much sense. It's like, you know, the body versus your actual physical body and what, what's actually taking place. There. I think you might be onto something. So what would happen is that that started happening when I was a baby and there came a point and I, I'm, it's a little difficult for me to remember exactly how old I was because I, I mean, I know where, where I lived because I remember the place. I mean, I remember my bedroom and everything. Um, we let, we moved away from that place when I was three. So everything that I'm describing happened before I was three. And I know that some of it definitely happened around the age of one and a half, one and a half, two, right in that realm. So, and oh, just a little note about my level of consciousness at an early age. Like, I remember potty training. And wow. I remember being finding it very humiliating, <laughs> right? But the reason I bring that up is, and oddly enough, it actually has helped me um, it, when I've been in parenting roles with children that are in the terrible twos, right? Toddlers. Yeah is that when I was that age, part of my frustration, part of the reason I was cantankerous little as a two-year-old was that when the adults around me were talking, I could understand everything they were saying, everything they were saying. But the problem is, is because of the development of my body, I couldn't make my body articulate, like I couldn't say the words, I didn't have the mechanical skill to say the words, but I understood the words in my head completely. I remember whole conversations that, uh, that adults around me had, them trying to talk to me, you know, you know, like baby talk and all that stuff, and me going, oh, for crying out loud, I understand what you're saying. I just can't make my body say back what I need to say back. So that's significant because later on in adult life, when I was dealing, you know, I've had a few times when I've had to deal with toddlers, I treat them with that understanding that what's happening is the part of the reason they're frustrated is that they completely are having totally cogent thoughts, but they're, they're struggling with their bodies, which are still in an early developmental stage. They're struggling to make their bodies actually articulate what they can clearly understand. And it's funny because I've actually found it to be a very effective method. They respond well to that. (laughs) I bring that only up because now I'm going to get, I'll, I'll tell you what, what the first, uh, encounter that I had with them. So in the house, and, and when I was three, when, you know, up until I was three, I had a crib, you know, old fashioned, you slide the sides down kind of crib. 
my parents were always very frustrated because I figured out how to get out of the crib. And then they got one of those things to go across the door of my bedroom, you know, so that I wouldn't, you know, the little baby gate. <laughs> and I figured out how to open it. And so I would like wander around the house in the middle of the night. So, so anyway, I had one night, I, and I, like I said, I'm guessing I was probably about two and I, I came into that, I call it a waking dream state. That's what I call it. I don't call it sleep paralysis. I call it waking dream state. So I came into the waking dream state and I was in my crib and I was starting to have the panic, but then I relaxed, you know, I've relaxed and, and stopped the, the, you know, the, the waking up process. And, um, and I went and I just, Something distracted me. I, that's what I remember. Something distracted me, just like movement or something. The next thing I knew, I was standing in the middle of my bedroom. I was standing on the floor. And in this bedroom, I had a window. And I was, I, I was um, looking out that window. And the way the building was, where our, our apartment was, was the top floor uh, over a garage in that old-fashioned style that, you know, the shop below and the, and the apartment above. And there was a row of those. And my window, bedroom window, looked out into the wall of the one that was next to us, you know, the next apartment over, next building over. And I was standing there looking out the window, and there were these two, I've always described them as children, but they weren't really children. They were humanoid, but they were like completely smooth. pink, you know, color. Um, and they were floating outside the window. And they were floating kind of, um, you know, on their, not like standing upright, but floating like they were swimming or flying, you know. They were just floating, the two of them. And I could, they didn't, their mouths didn't move, but I could hear the words that they were saying in my head. I could, it was telepathy, basically. And they were inviting me to go and fly with them. And my initial response was, well, that sounds like fun. <laughs> sure, I'll go flying. But I said, you know what, though? I probably should check with my mom. I just had this thing, like, I probably should make sure it's okay with my mom. And I turned around, and my mom was standing behind me all of a sudden. And I turned to her, and I was like, can I, you know, is it okay if I go and, and, and fly with the weird the weird smooth children floating outside the window. And um, she went into this whole palaver of, of like, she goes, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, it's scary and you could fall and then, what, can you trust them? And I don't know if I trust them. And I mean, it was this whole, it's like I heard her internal monologue out loud, if that makes any sense. And she finally came around. She goes, she goes, okay, well, do you trust them? If you trust them, if you feel like it's okay, then it's okay with me. And I was like, I'm going flying. <laughs> I'm out the window. And the next thing that, and I was like, okay. And then I was outside with them floating between the buildings, you know, just in the space. 
and to give you an, an idea, it was nighttime, but it wasn't really nighttime. It was sort of twilight, and I think what it was, it was it was just before the it was like early dawn before the sun comes up. <clears throat> it was that kind of silver gray early morning, and I'm, I'm floating out between the buildings with them, and it's great. I mean, it was so cool. I'm floating, wow. And then I looked down. Now understand, I'm a little kid, so two stories when you're a little kid is a long ways down. Yeah. So I looked down and it was like, you know, because I was a story and a half in the air. So what would that be? A story and a half is uh, 15 feet, roughly. So I was like 15 feet in the air. Well, I looked down and I panicked. And as soon as I panicked, I started to fall. And I, and I was falling, not like super fast, but I was falling and I could see the ground getting closer. And about six inches off the ground, I sort of stopped. And I was, I mean, my heart was racing. I was like, <laughs> and I looked up at them and they looked down at me and one of them lifted up his, his hand and kind of waggled his finger at me and he said, can't do fear, can't do fear. And I went, oh, okay, got it, no fear, cool. <laughs> and I floated back up, but then I kind of floated up and then floated past them and floated above the roof of the house, you know, of the building. And as I floated up, there were all these other people up on the roof, I had no idea who they were, but there were all these people and they were all looking toward the east, toward the sun, you know, where the sun was coming. Wow. And as I came up over the, over, the, over the top of the roof, the sun came up and then I was back in my crib. Wow. Did, the, did those people that yeah. were on the roof, did they, did they, did those people look like the other two beings or were they more like uh, normal looking people? They looked like, you know, the normal kind of hippie friends of my parents. <laughs> you know, they looked like normal adults from 1970, <laughs> you know, yeah. normal young adults from 1970. Because I'm guessing that's probably when it was, about when it was. It was somewhere between, like, late 1969 or early 1970. So you can imagine, you know, bell-bottom jeans and, and, you know, hippiness. But here's the, here's, the, here's the kicker, and this has been a recurring thing as well. So years and years later, many years later, I was in my mother's kitchen at her house, and I was telling the story I just told you to, to uh, someone else at her dining room table. And she was in the kitchen, which is adjacent to the dining room. <clears throat> and she was, I don't know, chopping vegetables or washing dishes or something. I mean, she was doing something in the sink. And I got to that, I told the story, of, when I told the part of the story about her behind me, she dropped a she dropped a dish or something in the thing and she stopped me and she turned around and she looked at me and she goes, that was real. Oh, wow. Holy cow. She remembered the incident, but from her point of view. But she thought it was a dream probably. Or she, like that's the way that maybe yeah. she interpreted it was a dream. Exactly. Wow. So that's an important piece of information for you to understand is that the things that have occurred to me almost, not occurred, have happened to me have almost always <clears throat> had some other kind of corroboration from other than just me. Sometimes not at the time, sometimes it's years later like that, right? Well, that's, I mean, that's got to be so nice because people, when people have these strange experiences and stuff, when they have that corroboration, it really helps them feel like they're not going crazy, you know? So that's cool. I mean, that's, that's just, a, I guess, a blessing that you had other people that, you know, it kept happening time and time again. It still probably does, it sounds like. Well, it, it, it's interesting because they... They visit in different ways now because the more I've understood, it's like the more I understand, the less they visit. And I think it's because the whole point of them visiting was to make sure that I understood. 
<laughs> yeah, they're they're like they're like teachers of some sort, like co- not cosmic teachers totally. or yeah. So then the um, so then you know uh, things happened. We we left that you know left the Midwest and moved out west when I was three. Bought raw land. I grew up very much like a pioneer. Like it was very very pioneer life. You know my my chores my. my designated chore when I was six and seven years old is that I had to chop all the firewood for the wood cook stuff because I learned to cook on a wood cook stove. Yeah, we lived, you know, 10 miles from town on, on 20 acres of raw land, you know, developed everything, developed a full organic garden and ended up building a house and we lived in a cabin initially and um, carried, well, finally put in a well so we had to, we, we could stop getting water from the neighbors to drink. Yeah. <laughs> finally finally put in a well and uh and you know i used to have to carry five gallon buckets of water from the well you know about eh, about a quarter of a mile from the well to the house when i was you know six and seven and eight that that age that's why i chopped my thumb off when i was eight because i was so used to using axes but i did i was doing stupid things with a hatchet and chopped my thumb off um it got sewed back on but you know still stupidity anyway (laughs) child stupidity as i'm sure you're aware of I'm sure you have done your fair share of stupid child things. Yeah, I mean, it scares um, me because I have a five-year-old, so I'm always fearful of what's coming for him, you know? You know the best thing you can do for him? Acquaint him with everything. Yeah. Just, just like, don't go, oh, don't touch that, it's sharp. Show him that it's sharp. Show him how it's sharp. Show him how it works. That you will keep him safer better by having them understand than not understand. <laughs> right. In my experience. Um you still there? It kind of yeah. sounds like you broke up. Nope, I'm still here. Okay. Yep. Okay. So then, and then my father passed away when I was five, and, and you know, life got kind of interesting and strenuous. We, so it was just me and my mom, and we, it got kind of hard for her because we were, it was still very rural. We were still very rural, and it was a lot of work to do, and, you know, winters were hard. And so she started, she had this idea in 1978. She said, well, I think... I think for the winter, instead of staying out here, we'll just rent a place in town and we'll just move into town for the winter because it's a lot easier than, you know, digging the cars out every day and, you know, having to hike, having to park partway down our mile-long driveway and then toboggan everything in and, you know, through the snow. And it was just a lot. It was like, okay, this is just too much work. We're yeah. going to rent some place in town for the winter. I don't blame her. So we rented this place. I don't either. Um, we rented this place in town in, in, in August, it's probably about August, because school started in September. And, um, but we rented this place in town, and um, it was up on the hill in my hometown. And it was weird, it had sheetrock. I, I never, I haven't, hadn't really ever had sheetrock, because, uh, you know, everything was... Wood, right? Two by fours, and yeah. it was all wood. <laughs> so I had sheetrock, and then, you know, my bedroom, of course, had gross 1970s wood paneling in it but that's a different that's a non sequitur that's irrelevant um other than that it annoyed um but anyway so like i said we moved we moved into town probably late august beginning of august probably beginning of august at some point and i think i don't know if school had started or not i've never been able to remember that part like it was a sequence issue but one night so to give you an idea, this this um, place that we lived again was a long, thin, like house, kind of like almost like the size and shape of a double wide. 
okay. trailer. Yeah. But but it was on top. It it was kind of built into the side of a hill, and it was on top of a three bay garage. And my bedroom, and it ran kind of east west. And my bedroom was on the far west end of it. And there was a there was a door in my bedroom that led to a set of rickety stairs that you really didn't want to go down because like they were going to fall down. But there was a door with a window in it. So the point is that there was a window on one side of that, and then the door itself had a window. And my bed was my bed was in alignment with that door. So when I was laying there, you know, if I woke up in the night, I'd be looking out the window, out the window in the door. So I came to the. I was there, and like to give you an idea, I was I was nine years old, and I came into that waking dream state, and it was just starting. I was starting to get the buzz, like I was I was not going to um, stay in the state, right? And all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, and to give you an idea, my the bedroom door was on the the bedroom door was on the south end of the room, but it was facing it was facing east. So if you you came in the bedroom on the southeast corner. And then there was a wall um, on the south that with no window in it. Anyway, I'm laying there, and all of a sudden, these seven people walk into my room. And they were very peculiar-looking people. There were seven people that walked in, and they were. And I think the reason that I stopped panicking, well, first of all, it was distracting that seven people walked in the room. But they walked in in a single file, and there were two of them that were like the size of a normal adult. And then they were kind of in two groups. There was a male group and a female group. The male group came in first and there was one that was like an adult, adult male, but then he had two children with him that were both boys and they were just, you know, sequentially smaller. So there was a boy that was, you know, one boy probably would have been about my age, nine or 10, and the other boy would like six just to give you a sense of size, right? So yeah. a dad, a, a 10-year-old, and a 6-year-old. And then the female group was the mom and three three daughters. So it was the mom, and then it was, you know, an older daughter, probably more like 11 or 12 size, just height, and then, you know, 9 or 10, and then, again, like 6. Um, and... The thing that got my attention, apart from the obvious, is that they were, so the father looked like 100% like cliche 19, sort of 1960s TV show dad, right? <laughs> Short side parted hair, kind of the button up, you know, Oxford shirt, um, the slacks and the, and the loafers kind of look. And then the mom had, I always describe it as a bouffant, but I don't think that's actually right. It's, it was sort of like, um, ah, I know. You know the hairstyle? You've seen Mars Attacks, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you know the hairstyle of the alien, of the Martian woman? Oh, yeah, I'm picturing it totally right now in my head. Yeah, that, okay. was, that was creepy. So, so, <laughs> she, so, so the mom had that style of hair, but she was, she was wearing, you know, like a blouse and a skirt that went, you know, just, to her knees and I mean she looked like you'd think her name was Peggy like she just had this <laughs> very stereotypical look about her right and so they, they looked like the perfect mid-1960s parents does that make sense yeah oh yeah totally okay whoa is that you or me I think that was me sorry about that okay that's right <laughs> so but here's what was odd is that 
the children, like the three, the three girls that were with her, looked exactly like her, but just proportionally sized down versions. Weird. Like literally, literally clones. Not even that they looked like they were children dressed up. They looked like exactly her, but reduced in size. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's strange. And then the dad, the two boys that were with the dad, it was exactly the same thing. They looked exactly like him, but were just small. Now, the next defining characteristic is that they didn't seem threatening at all. I didn't feel any sense of threat from them, but their eyes had no pupils, none of them. It was just like, you know, smooth, no, no pupils. And they were made of sort of an aqua blue light. So if you took if you took light and made it into a liquid and poured it into a mold, that's what they looked like. So they were glowing. They were basically luminescent blue, kind of an aqua blue beings. Wow. said oh boy well but they had no they had no hair but you know who you know bruce lee right you know bruce lee mm-hmm. yeah so you know how bruce lee you could tell he was strong but he wasn't ripped he was just brought he was just wiry like oh, yeah. his, his brawn was very contained yeah in other words unlike unlike arnold schwarzenegger right he right. wasn't like big muscle mass he was just really really fit yeah so they they sort of looked like that and they they were now all genderless and they, they had no hair, and their cranes were slightly elongated, and they were still made of the blue light, and they were standing there in a group, like in, in a line. There was one, the one that had been the father, um, I sort of approached that one, or he approached me, or we approached each other, I, that's a little unclear. But he was taller than me, I mean, they were adult size, and I was still, you know, nine-year-old size. But uh, he walked over, you know, he didn't walk. We were just standing adjacent to each other and he let me, he kind of leaned forward a little bit and he let me, cause I reached out with my hand cause I wanted to touch him. I wanted to see, you know, tactically what they felt like. So I reached up with my right hand and with the index finger, you know, uh, the three fingers apart from my thumb and my pinky, right? 
So I took my three fingers and just under his left eye on the cheekbone, I just sort of put my fingers there and just sort of let, you know, kind of pulled my fingers down across his cheek. And it left like slightly lighter tracer marks on his, on his skin when I did that. It was very cool. Um, have you ever put your tongue on a nine volt battery? Oh yeah. Okay. You know what's interesting? I always ask that because it's the best way to describe this, but it's surprising how many people have done that. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's what it felt like. His skin felt like when you put your tongue on the nine volt battery. It felt it, you had that little bit of that kind of electric, yeah, just a little like a tightening, like your muscle tightens a little bit or something. Yeah, it was just it was like you could feel that it it had a, a like a static energy to it. Wow. Anyway, so I did. I did that, so I pulled my kind of ran my right finger and the fingers down his cheek, and then I sort of stepped back, and I was like, we were having a very good interaction, and then he leaned forward with his left eye to look at me, and when he leaned forward with his left eye, I went into his eye, and into his, in his eye, and this is something, uh, if you look at my Instagram, you will see the latest attempt to paint what I saw, what I experienced when I went through his eye, and... So I go through his eye, and I'm in this, in the vast distance, it's sort of like looking at the edge of a galaxy, and I'm, I'm just floating weightless in space with all these tremendous blue stars around me. They look like, you know, it looks like blue stars. And, they're, and I'm sort of drifting toward that galactic core, right, toward the center, but I'm, and I'm drifting through them. It was epic. Like, it was something I will never forget. And I've, this will be the third time I've tried to paint it with mixed results. <laughs> anyway, so, so I, I'm drifting through this. And as I focus on the distance, you know, because it sort of looked like the, the edge of the, of the Milky Way. It had a bulge in the center, you know, yeah. like the galactic core. And it was the edge of a disc. And I'm floating and I'm going toward that. And as I kind of look at that, I'm going faster in the any of the stars are going by me quicker. And I go into it and right through the edge and right into the center. And then I'm standing back in the room. Wow. That's so, crazy. So the way that I've interpreted that is him letting me touch his face was like my experiential greeting and me going through his eye was his experiential greeting. That was like saying hello, if that makes any sense. So, what, anyway, what, what do you um, think he was trying to show you? That, what do you think he was trying to show you when that happened? Like, do you think he was? What, there was a point to that, like to show you some kind oh, of? Oh, absolutely! I think there was a point to it. But I've only, honestly, only really come to understand that point in the last year and a half. Oh wow! <laughs> I, I finally realized what he was showing me this summer. That's crazy. Because um, this is a this, this is a process that's never stopped. Like it's 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 been an ongoing thing anyway so then we i'm like okay i'm standing in front of him and i'm like is that it and he just kind of backs away and they all turn in a single file line and they just start walking out of my bedroom and i'm like well wait a minute (laughs) is that it is this a test and i was like do i go with them do i stay here and the message that i got somehow was that whatever i do is the right answer so i said well i'm gonna go with them now understand it was dark in the bedroom, it was dark in the house. It was not, you know, it was dark outside. And they were, they, they didn't walk. They just drifted. You know, they just kind of floated. And I, and they could just float through the house. But I 
had to walk to the house in the dark. And so I would like try not to run into things and, you know, make sure I didn't make any noise. And I walked by my mom's bedroom because I didn't want to wake her up. And they got out, you know, because so from my bedroom, my bedroom kind of opened into the kitchen. And then you went past, you know, through the kitchen into sort of like a dining area, which was next to my mom's room. And then, and then into the living room and then out the front door. And the front door was to the east. So they just went through the door and I had to figure out how to very quietly. In fact, I remember this. I ran into, I, I bumped into one of the chairs in the dining, you know, in the, you know, our, our kitchen table, the chairs at the kitchen table. I bumped into one of those. I was like, I had like, oh, no, but it didn't wake my mom up. So I, I continued going and they just, of course, could drift through the door. I had to open the door. So I opened the door and I went outside. And they were kind of not there, but I knew where they'd gone. They'd gone across our little yard and then up this little path to the street, which, you know, was on the side of the hill and the street went fairly steeply down. And I, as I got up to the top about, I got to describe another detail. So our house was part of a, a larger property that had another house on it. And that house had a driveway that connected with the same street, but a little farther down the hill, probably about a half a block down the hill. And when you came up up our little, you know, up the little paths of the street, it was about a half a block down there, and there was a street light down there. Well, when I got up to the top of the hill, I looked down, and where that driveway came out, there was this disc floating over the street, and it was about the width of the street. Now, I will tell you, earlier this year, I went back there, and unfortunately, the house that we lived in has been torn down and replaced, but... Um, I do have pictures of it before it was torn down, but I was able to actually measure the street. And so I know how big all these things were now. So this disc was, was approximately 25 feet in diameter. Wow. And it was hovering about from the bottom bulge to the ground was probably about bottom central bulge. It was probably about six feet. Cause I was, like I said, I was a little kid and I could have walked under it easily and there would have been space over my head. So it was like six feet off the ground, six to eight feet off the ground. Um, and it had a bulge on it. So it had like a dome bulge on the bottom in the center and it had a dome bulge on the top. And the one on the bottom was smaller than the one on the top. And it was a dull kind of dull metallic gray. And it was the weird part when there were no lights or anything, it was just stationary. And the thing that was odd about it is that it was so stationary there could have been a hurricane going on and you would have been distracted by how stationary this thing was and how completely unaffected it was by any, I mean, light was hitting it right from the street light, but it didn't move. It was, it was, it was almost like it wasn't there. If that makes any sense. Like it wasn't really totally there. Maybe it's a better way to describe it. But, uh, I went, I walked down the street and all of a sudden I was inside of it. Inside of it, it was three times larger inside than it was outside. And I was able to determine that when I went back in um, earlier this year and we did the measurement. So it was <clears throat> the central core was like 75 feet across inside. Wow. Um, so the, the bulge on the bottom, when you got inside, the bulge on the bottom was actually sort of a concave half dome with little with terraces in it. And there was this mezzanine in the middle, like halfway, you know, that 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 connected to that. And then there was the dome overhead that connected to the outside edge of the mezzanine. So the, that little half dome was connected to the inside edge of the mezzanine and dropped down and the dome went overhead, but it was from the outside. So 
the mezzanine was sort of like a pathway that was the perfect division between the two halves. When I got in there, down in the mezzanine, down below in the, in the lower, it was sort of terraced. The, the lower dish was sort of terraced. And there were these three, so there were three sort of like podiums around and and the three podiums were odd a little bit because they were rectangular. They were probably about four, maybe four feet tall, something like that. Like if you, you know, if you stood at, if you, st- if you stand at a kitchen counter and the kitchen counter comes to your, you know, at a comfortable height. Yeah. It's about, it was about that height. Okay. Um, maybe a little higher, a little taller than that. Um, because the beans themselves were fairly tall, but, um, and it had sort of a back slanting surface, you know, top, top counter and they were, and, okay. And that's, so that's how you knew it was a podium, right? In a, in a triangle, sort of around the, the terraces. Okay. You were going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say that that's why you described it as a podium. Cause it kind of had that slant to it, right? On the top. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And they fate and they were fate like the, you stood on, let's see, I'm trying to figure out how to describe this. So imagine that the center was what you were facing and you were standing kind of behind the podium as though the audience was the center of the bottom of the dish right okay so uh, so the slant the slant the slanted side was slanting away from the center if that makes sense okay anyway so there, there were the three podiums and there the one thing that was really odd about the whole space is that it was you know what vacuum plastic looks like, right? You yeah. Take a vacuum form. So the whole thing was, it was like it was made out of white vacuum form plastic, but there were no seams. It was one whole, just one piece. I mean, everything, the mezzanine, everything was all one piece of material. And it had, it was slightly like shiny plastic. You know, it had a slight gloss to it. Well, um, and then the dome overhead was like that, except for the dome overhead had these, Six, six kind of in a hexagon, these six big screens that went, that were kind of on the facing slightly down on the underside of the dome. So you looked up at them and then you were looking at the screen as well. It was kind of flat. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Looking up at it. Kind of a jumbotron, right? But jumbotron that was up, uh, and there were six of them, so it went all the way around the dome. The first thing I noticed was that the being that I'd been talking to in my bedroom was there. And was now like nine feet tall. I mean, it was, he was very tall and still blue and still, but now was wearing robe, like a, like robes that went to the floor, you know, like long sleeved, kind of almost like a priestly robe, you might think. And he was standing, so he's standing uh, just to my right. And I looked down and each one of those podiums had a being very much like him, but they were white. They weren't blue, they were white. Their skin was white. They, they, were, they were exactly the same, you know, energetic vibe. They were just white. And wearing almost like a, almost sort of like a similar sort of robe, but it was more like a toga kind of a robe. And they were doing this, this, uh, so one thing I, I just got to tell you about the, how these beings moved. So they were kind of in a state of perpetual motion. And the only way I can describe it is, so imagine that, if you were talking to someone and you were using your hands, you know, you, you know, gesturally with your hands while you're talking, imagine that when you talk, you, you pointed, you pointed across the room with your left index finger. Well, and their fingers were slightly like everything about them was slightly elongated. Their fingers were longer, you know, their hands were longer, their fingers were longer, but still very anthropomorphic. And they, 
so imagine you, you gestured with your, you, you like bent your hand and you pointed with your finger. And as soon as it came to rest, like you stopped, that when that gesture was done, you started to turn your head. And as soon as your head stopped turning, you know, your, your right elbow, like they were always moving. There was always, there was always motion. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it was very graceful. And I, I, well, I have to say this is very important. I never at any time felt ominous, threatened. They, they were incredibly benevolent. Like everything about them was very, very peaceful and pleasant. Like there was nothing scary about them at all. And were they were they genderless uh, again in the in this moment? Like you could you couldn't tell whether they were female or male at this point. There was no indication of gender, but then again, they were wearing the robes. Yeah. And the only reason I say he is because he was the one that had been the father. Right. Um, and so there, I don't think they're really like they didn't. You know, they didn't have female features. They didn't have breasts. They did not have breasts. They just were there. And okay. They were just they were just human bodies with no extracurricular definition um other than you know face and things and what was interesting the the one that was standing next to me was talking to me and i realized after a little bit that his mouth wasn't moving and i was like oh he's talking to me in my head like that was a recognition in the circumstances that this was a telepathic communication that was going on anyway so what was interesting is that the the three beings that were white that were in front of the podiums were passing their hands in this very, you know, almost liquid flowing manner, almost like they were operating controls of some kind. But there was nothing on them. The panels were completely just white and blank, but they were, they were like very gracefully reaching out and, you know, would touch here and then with the other hand would touch here. And, but it was having some sort of effect because, I mean, nothing lit up, that it was just blank. Thing, but they were operating it and things were happening that were subtle so they were doing something i still don't know what but uh, anyway so he was standing next to me and you know we were sort of having a dialogue and i was i, I think i was asking some questions about where i was he goes okay i need you to do something i said what i went i need you to look up there and so he pointed at the screen that was a you know a, on the underside of the dome but across from me across the mezzanine now i have to make a point here these like everything else was white but these screens were sort of a dull you know dull dark gray color and when he pointed over there it went from being dull gray to being black hmm. now we sort of like it had turned like it had turned on and we sort of take this for granted now but this was 1978 these were clearly big plasma TVs. Wow. Plasma TVs didn't exist. No, not yet. I had no context for a plasma TV when I was nine years old. But when I later on, and I see TVs now, I go, oh, yeah, that's exactly what they When they're off, they look sort of a, you know, a dark, dull gray. And when you turn them on, they turn black, right? Right. And that's exactly what happened. These, the screens turned on, and then in the lower left-hand corner of the screen across from me, a little pattern of like random dots. So it was like a dot and then two dots adjacent to that and then four dots and six. And and it just expanded up from the lower left to the upper right. And it was sort of like a random pattering, you know, spattering of like an expanding field of of little white dots. And then 
as soon as it reached the other side, little very clear white circles appeared around the dots in the same sort of pattern. So starting in the lower left and going and then those little, so now you have a whole, you know, a screen with a sort of a, almost like, like an expanding river mm-hmm. of white dots inside of circles. And it looks very digital. Like it was very, you know, it looked very how we think now, you know, very digitally rendered. And then little lines connect, started connect from the, again, from the lower left to the upper right, uh, connected, started connecting the little circles together. So it was like, and showing relationship patterns, almost like, like flows, you know, like lines would connect these ones, other lines would connect those, and it would just come to Well, as soon as that happened, then to my right, it happened in the next screen, but it was a slightly different pattern. And then in the screen, you know, the next one, and it went all the way around the dome like that, where they would go, and as soon as it got over to the first one, the first one that I was looking at went blank, and the whole thing happened again, but multiply, but slightly smaller and multiplied in quantity. Hmm. And then the next screen went blank, and then it did it again, and it, and it did that, and it, it started out kind of slow, and then it did it faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And then he goes, what do you see? And, you know, I'm, come on, I'm nine. I'm looking up, and I'm going, well, I mean, the only logical thing that came to mind, I said, star charts? And he, he kind of paused, and he said, okay. Well, it's time for us to go. And I said, it's time for us to go. I was so excited because I was like, we are going. And I go, oh, so that's, that's, I thought I was going, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he, goes, he goes, no, it's time for us to go. You're not ready yet. And I went, oh, well, that sucks. <laughs> I was like, this is not okay with me. And then uh, uh, he, and, he, and, and I, was, I was very distraught. And, and he said, he goes, but we'll be back. And all of a sudden, when he said, oh, we'll be back, I was outside on the ground, you know, looking up at the disc. And then I, I was in my bed and I, I immediately got up on my bed and I went, you know, out my bedroom door to the first window and looked over there because I was like, oh man, are they still there? Because I could see where, you know, from my, from that window, I could have seen where they were over the street, but they were gone. So, I mean, I puzzled over that experience for years. And by the way, it was still dark out. It was like, you know, two, three in the morning, something like that, um, that this had all occurred. Yeah, that would that would drive me absolutely crazy. Like just trying to rack my brain. Like what what did he mean, or what did this being mean when he asked me, "What am I seeing?" And like you know, you feel like you gave the wrong answer, and you're just kind of like, I, I, that would bother me too. That would drive me absolutely crazy. I didn't give the wrong answer. I just didn't give the answer that would have indicated that I I completely understood. Right. See, that's what I've come to realize is that it was really about they were trying that whole experience. So the first experience, I'm pretty sure, was just a test to see if I, how conscious I was, at, at, you know, at, at two, and to see at that level of consciousness if I had the ability to control my fear and my, you know, and, and in other words, have faith and control fear, right? I think that's really what it was. It was just to see how how aware I was, and then the thing that happened when I was nine was okay, how much do I understand? Like, how much do, okay, I'm going to use this word. I think it was all about how much do I remember? And I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Um, So now we fast forward to uh, 
sharing it or no? Oh, sure. I didn't even have to write it down. I knew the verse. I remember the verse. It says, the verse goes like this. When I was young, I left the path to find the truth of free. I searched until I found a pool beneath an ancient tree. I stood atop six circling stones to see what I could see. Behold, I spied a one-eyed fool winking back at me. That came through four dreams and was completely clear and remembered by the time I woke up. Now, there's a lot of imagery in that in that verse, and there's a lot of geometry and other things that I didn't even understand at the time. Shortly after that, <clears throat> I was up at the school one morning because we would, you know, I'd get up to the school. You know, school starts at about eight fifteen, and and so we'd you know be up at school like seven thirty, and I we'd go hang out in the art room and I'd, we'd chit chat or whatever. Well, she comes in this particular day. And she's, she looks tired. I go, you not sleep well? And she said, well, your little blue buddies came and visited me last night. I went, what? Whoa. What do you mean? What do you mean? She goes, yeah. I was dreaming. I was asleep and I was dreaming and I was very content to be dreaming. And all of a sudden my dream just faded to black. I went, what? She goes, yep. My dream faded to black. And these two blue beings came up to me and they said, we're really sorry to interrupt, but we have to get this information to him, and he's not listening. And they proceeded to, well, they were just there, and she said, yeah, and then the sequence of symbols just went, 
in the you know against the black background there were like glowing symbols and they just went and she I went really or what were they she goes well, just give me a second and she pulled out a notebook and in front of me in less than 20 seconds she wrote out the symbols and I said I looked at them and I there was a lot of geometry in, but I recognized there were a lot of things I went okay I get a lot of this I go is there any more it's almost like I, I need a little more information she goes I don't know. That's what they gave me. And I said, there's nothing more. And she goes, hang on. <sighs> okay. And then she wrote out a whole other thing that was incredibly complex. So it, literally she wrote all of this out of, you know, verbatim in 45 seconds. Wow. That's crazy. And, and, and um, she just kind of wrote it all out and tore it out of her notebook and gave it to me. I have it to this day. Well, I don't have that one. That one was on recycled paper and it fell apart. But I did make photocopies of it before it, before it disintegrated. And uh, uh, I have it. I have it uh, blown up photographically uh, and it's hanging in a frame on my wall. <laughs> and I've been studying it. <clears throat> Pardon me. I've been studying it ever since. All right, everybody, we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger there. That's all the time that we have for today. Please stay tuned for the part two of Raven's story. We didn't have enough time to put the entire story out there. It would have been too long of a show, and, you know, people will get bored if it's too long like that. So we just wanted to cut it off here. But there's a lot more coming, and we don't want you to miss out on it because uh, there's a lot of stuff in here that's going to blow your mind. Please stay tuned. Thank you so much for your listenership. If you like the show, share it around on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook now, so you can go ahead and find us there and, and like those pages, follow those pages. But again, thank you so much for being here, and we will see you next time. Thank you.
Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big- 